Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. We are bogging down the system, and when the whole system falls, then everybody will fall. If we fall, everybody will fall. John Harvard is my guest coming up. You just heard his grim predictions for our continuing addiction to money printing by the Fed and central banks. He's back on our show, this time to zero in on solutions to help end this financial nightmare. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. It now takes more kick to kickstart the economy. You know, it used to be a couple, you know, some billions of dollars would do it. Now it's trillions, and you know, and it only tends to get higher. John Harvard is a scholar, researcher, educator, international speaker, and author of Return to Order. From a frenzied economy to an organic Christian society? And where indeed do we need to go as global debt now exceeds an estimated $250 trillion? John Horvath says the family unit is not such a bad place to begin. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. If the family were in place, it has enormous assets that it creates money, it creates wealth, it distributes wealth. I mean, it is an amazing instrument that is not being used at this present time and because we live in a society that has you know, destroyed the family. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. John, it's great to have you back again on the show. This time we're talking about the economy, money printing in the U.S., and maybe more globally. Uh, we have a problem, as you see it, and many would agree with you. Could you just first describe the size of of the U.S. and global debt bubble today, in dollar terms, even in approximate terms? And how fast is this growing? From the point of view of the United States, I mean, we're at, I think, something like $26.7.8 trillion, which is uh, a lot. I mean, it's it's an amazing amount of money that's uh, well well past our, our gross uh, domestic product. Um, it's also... Um, Growing now, let's say this last uh, 2020, it was $4 trillion. That is definitely well above what it was before. Usually we're around $1 trillion deficit every year. But of course, with the COVID crisis, that ha that has gone, uh, just gone. They, they just thrown caution out to the wind. And now it's $4 trillion. And there's still, a, there's still an aid package left to be approved. Yeah, we don't know where this is all going to end, and we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. But just to kind of understand some basic concepts and ideas here, debt in most cases is a two-sided equation. There are borrowers and lenders. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the U.S. government and central bank, who is lending money to the U.S. government? How is it lending it out? Is it, in effect, lending money to itself also? 
Yeah, it is a combination of both. Uh, usually a lot of this money is coming from U.S. Treasury bonds. U.S. Treasury bonds, uh, a lot of people have described that as the new gold and the gold standard, you know, because they are, it is something uh, that is a safe haven. It's a good place to park money. It's not a good place to earn money, but at least it's earning something in, a, in an economy where, you know, interest rates are down almost to zero percent. So people see it as a very secure haven to park money. And so a lot of people lend money to the United States. And that's not only here in the United States, but also all around the world. A lot of, a lot of governments, a lot of uh, people who want safe assets uh, invest in treasuries. And some of these borrowers are countries like Japan, China, yeah. European countries, maybe even very large hedge funds or money managers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a risky thing, so to speak, because, you know, if China were to sort of let were to let go of its treasuries all at once, it could uh, flood the market. It could could have adverse effects. But at the same time, it is it is a safe haven and there are not too many safe havens in this in the world today. And, and so uh, people like the stability of the uh, of the money. It's you know the uh, the loans are graded and it's top grade. You know it's not as if there is uh, the risk is is minimal uh, at this point. So you know people tend to like the uh, treasury bonds. And, and the U.S. economy is seen as as you've described it a, a safe haven of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's a stable economy. The U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, so that right. means something. Right. Uh, I mean, as long as people want to buy our debt, we can, we can, we we can, uh, we can borrow, we can uh, borrow that money, you know. And we don't have to, we don't have to give a lot of interest. You know, the interest rate is uh, is close to zero or you know one percent, one point something percent. I mean, this is almost like free money, you know, that they're giving. And and only when you start getting treasury bonds that have to go, have to pay three, four, five percent, then you start getting into very very expensive money, so to speak, that, uh, you know, when you pay it back, it's it uh, really weighs heavily upon the economy. Well, you mentioned the U.S. debt. Of course, then we have Federal Reserve debt. That hit the uh, $7 trillion or so mm-hmm. mark this year, unprecedented, historically high levels, quite scary. Right, yeah. And the Federal Reserve is a whole other thing. You know, it is a, it is a system that uh, was put in place for the expansion and contraction of money. Uh, it, money supply, you know, and it is it is a system that um, gets the money moving inside in, inside the economy. It it uses all sorts of tools and toolkit has a toolkit that that um, facilitates uh, the banking system, but it's not well. It also is not without its risks, you know. If if this this uh, a lot of these tools get out of get out of balance, or if they don't, the tools no longer work. You know, there's not too much there's not too many options afterwards. We're in an era unlike anything in past history. A lot of this money released by the Federal Reserve is essentially done at a keystroke compared to what it might have been done back in the 1930s. Right. There are no trucks going into the Federal Reserve and just loading up the uh, money bags. It's, it is keystroke. It is, it is virtual. And, you know, it is that, and that also is very dangerous because they're, you know, the, the easier you make it, the, the, the more likely you are to use it. Without getting too granular and deep in the weeds, the Federal Reserve uh, re- releases money into the economy. One of the mechanisms is through bond purchases mm-hmm. uh, via the major banks. Right, yeah, it, it does that. 
and it's and it loans money to itself as well. You know, it has a sort of a, a mechanism where it loans money to itself, but which has a multiplier effect and uh, releases money into the economy and expands money supply, but also can easily just as easily contract money supply. I say I say there's a system put in place for an economy like ours. I'm not I don't agree with our economy. I think it is frenzied out of out of balance. It has has so many uh, uh, what I, uh, moral problems more than financial problems. And so for our system, this is the thing they've put in place, and it does what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be doing. But is it are we doing what we're supposed to be doing in an economy? That's the, that's the real question. The math gets even more astronomical when we start taking into account municipal debt, local government debt, personal debt. But in any event, uh, just there's mountains of debt everywhere. Oh, yeah. No, it's all over. It's corporate debt. Uh, you know, just uh, I don't know. I don't have a number in front of me, but I mean, it's probably in the hundreds of trillions. I mean, that's that's what we're getting to. And on, and, and, uh, you know, un, unforeseen uh, and assets or uh, liabilities in the future that are not not covered, all these kind of things that are in. It's, it's an ocean of debt from which we're we're facing and or rather we're not facing. <laughs> That's the right. big problem. <laughs> yeah. And then global debt, of course, has reached levels that far exceed where we were at um, after as we were coming out of the uh, global financial crisis in 2008. Right. Exactly. I mean, that, that was the, that was a milestone, the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis. Yeah, but now with the COVID thing, it, it has just it's it's just another uh, one more crisis, and and uh, the solution a lot of times has been just throw money at it and see what happens. So that's why the government uses cheap money to stimulate the economy to get us out of the latest crisis. Right, it's it is a short term uh, short term measure that you know does get money moving, does stimulate the economy, does does help the circulation of economies. You know, it's it's in the form of loans and 0% interest or what they call quantitative easing, which is the buying up of troubled assets. You know, all these things are, you know, are out there that they use to get money into the economy, use cheap money to stimulate the economy, but it has uh, its limitations. You know, it's it, it now takes more kick to kickstart the economy. You know, it used to be a couple, you know, some billions of dollars would do it. Now it's trillions, and you know, and it only tends to get higher. Well, you mentioned this earlier. We reached the uh, turning point earlier this year. By the end of June, U.S. debt was about one hundred and six percent of GDP. The economy, mm-hmm. though, is still standing. We'll get to that and your thoughts on it. But we surpassed a major milestone. It's extraordinary, right? I mean, it is a milestone, and it it should have effects, but. You know, there there are economies like Japan's that are 200% of GDP, and and still standing. But I mean, I think it is largely, you know, we are still standing. It hasn't had that effect because we are we have the advantage of being the reserve currency, and as a result, people want to buy our debt. It's not as if we're trying to uh, get money or pay, or you know, get money that is uh, expensive or it's going to cost us a lot. You know, as long as the system stands. You know, it probably will stand, but, you know, we are we are bogging down the system. And when the whole system falls, then everybody will fall. If we fall, everybody will fall. I'm curious to get your thoughts, John, on this concept notion of modern monetary theory. We've read a little bit about it lately. The idea that if a nation controls its own currency, it can go on 
printing money for seamlessly endless sums, since it also controls the printing presses as well as monetary policy with levers such as taxation and interest rates. There was a surge in inflation, then by this account, it could take care of that, presumably with higher taxes. What do you make out of modern monetary theory? I don't think it's too modern. I think it's just a very a socialist scheme to say, well, we could, we will control. We want to control the money supply. We want to control the economy, and so uh, the best way to do that is to is to control the money supply and and to make the uh, the government the primary source of all, of most economic activity. I don't see it working. I, I mean, it's it doesn't really make sense, especially in a in a global economy where so many things, at least for us, are dollar denominated. You know. Everything's dollar denominated. We, you know, how can we sort of say we're in a closed system where we are just printing up our own money and using our own money? It's it's all over the place. I don't think we can really do that. It's really not a proven theory. I don't think it can be proved. At least right. You've cited many ill effects of what we're doing with the uncontrolled printing of money, uh, but you've cited in your writings three specific dangerous effects of cheap money on America's business. Can you just tell us about them or reiterate what they are? Yeah, uh, the first one is the fact that uh, when you make this this cheap money available, uh, the, the people who are going to take the most advantage of it are the uh, giant firms, the the really just huge monstrous firms that have the have the ability to uh, to expand and use that money and to uh, and to take care of all the the paperwork and the regulations that are that are usually attached to those kind of things. So you're really going to you're really going to help a lot of the giant firms that are out there, that the, the Amazons and the Googles and the other companies that that can you that know how to to game the system. The second thing is that you're going to help a lot of very small and inefficient companies that are dying and that uh, need that money and w- are willing to do anything to get it. And so. They're going to lend to what they call these zombie companies, companies that are living dead, that are inefficient uses of money. You know, you're actually wasting money and resources and talent. You know, they, all these companies absorb resources and talent that could be better put to companies that are efficient and use their uh, would be able to use that money in a better way. So they are the ones who are really going to take advantage of it as well. And the third thing is that when you put all this money, you infuse this money in it, it juices up the system. It makes the, it throws a lot of this money into the stock market, inflates stock values, inflates a lot of the uh, investments, and um, makes a lot of people who are investors in it or who are rich, richer, and and is, puts a lot of dead wood and clogs up the system. It doesn't actually help the system as much as it would if money were allowed to do what it's supposed to do, you know, just to, to uh, be a means of exchange and not a, a speculative instrument. So does all this money flooding the market explain the high valuations or, the, you know, the surging Dow uh, and other assets such as housing and commodities? Or does that explain what's going on? Well, definitely. I think it does because so uh, when you have cheap money there, the risk factor is much, much less. And so people are willing to take risks and willing to invest and willing to uh, speculate on the market. And, and, and it, yeah, it definitely does. Whereas, you know, if you don't have that money, you're certainly more cautious. There are many other facets to this with very low interest rates today in the U.S. at near zero. Conservative consumers, uh, the elderly, folks who are near retirement Mm -hmm. or are in retirement, traditionally 
would have put their money into safe havens or into mm. boring CDs and annuities that paid three, four, five percent. But that's no longer possible. The only place where these folks can get returns are in risky assets mm. like stocks. Well, definitely, yeah, it does. It does. It does put them at risk, and you know, it does take from them the security that they thought they had. Uh, now it's just, uh, it, it is. It really does um, endanger those those people, and and the safe the, uh, the safe havens that are so essential for stability of economies now just you know sort of up in the air, and the stocks the the risk the, the risk factors are are are, the, are what's making money. Uh, John, you are an economist and scholar, but also a man of deep faith and a devout Catholic, which is a good way to lead into my next question, which is that you say this economic issue of endless money printing reflects a moral problem. What is that problem? Well, I mean, uh, in the book, in my book, Return to Order, I talk about what I call frenetic intemperance. And it is that desire, to, that desire of people to, um, to have everything now instantly, regardless of the consequences. And this reflects itself in, the, in an economy that is constantly out of balance. You know, we have a very productive economy and a very vibrant and energetic economy. But we also do have that moral problem of, of, a, of an economy that is not a temperate economy. It doesn't always follow the, uh, the, what the intellect says it should be done. It goes into risks and does things and, and wants things instantly and, and, and all sorts of uh, that throws things out of balance. And so I think that is part of, the, part of our big problem, that people think that money will resolve every problem, and it doesn't. And they think that you know, we should not have any suffering. And if there is suffering, money will take care of it. Just throw money at the problem and it will be resolved. And many times that doesn't work. In fact, it makes it worse. No delayed gratification. Buy right. it now. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is that idea of instant gratification. And now with the, you know, all the instant clicks and cl everything is, is just a click away. And, and the credit card is just right there. You could just spend it with money you don't have for things you don't need. It, it, it creates an economy that, uh, you know, says, well, I need everything. I need this. I need that when really they don't need that or you, you could get by without it. And it probably would do, do good for people to be without certain things that they think they need so, so much. So you would advocate that consumers or more Americans adopt a more simple lifestyle and cut back on spending? Well, I mean, I don't I'm not necessarily say a, a a simple lifestyle, meaning a sort of a poor, you know, this uh, sort of false poverty that's out there that says, you know, you have to just be, uh, uh, if you, you should live according to your means and, you know, you should, should enjoy things that you can, can be enjoyed and should be enjoyed, but not to go beyond that, you know, to, to, to be a temperate, a temperance is the virtue whereby a person follows that which the intellect indicates is, is, is proportional and, and should be done, uh, and not just this instant gratification or uh, desire to have everything, and um, the economy of envy, where you're always constantly wanting the next best thing. Uh, those are the kind of things that not only destroy economies, but destroy uh, character. When you look at America today and Europe, are we operating under a kind of a state capitalist system, another form of socialism, perhaps? Definitely, yeah, definitely. In fact, those who look at cheap money saying, well, we are creating a socialist system because we're, 
we are putting the economy into a type of government uh, sponsorship. We're making the government the ultimate safety net of everything, taking the place of family, community, faith, you know, that used to be uh, enormous assets, or even from a financial point of view. Now those things are gone and the government is taking them. And, and it's pretty much the individual and the government at this point, and everybody's trying to get by. And uh, we don't have those safety nets that were in place before that would naturally help us carry through these crises that we're living in. Now, you wonder, I'm not sure if you've thought about this or has any economist come up with scenarios, how long more can this go on, this endless money printing? Do we risk a complete financial and moral collapse? Any datelines on those? It's hard to make a dayline, you know, because uh, human nature is very... Uh, very resilient. I mean, we, we, we get up, uh, you know, we thought it was all over in 2008, but, you know, it is, a man, a man constantly wants to improve his life and make life better and try to get things better. And so we, we, we our nature is to improve and try to get things going and, and to fix things. And so, you know, you say, well, it's all over, but we are very ingenious in dealing with these problems. But I definitely think there is a problem and it is a problem that's, that is well beyond, it's going to be on the natural means that would be possible to resolve. Uh, you know, billions of dollars was something, but, you know, when you're talking trillions and then tens of trillions and hundreds of trillions of dollars, there's really no way out. I mean, I think we are we are facing a, a, a type of collapse at a certain point. We'll be right back after this wee break with John Horvitt. And we'll ask John for his response to the Fed's role in preventing a major economic disaster because of the COVID-19 shutdowns. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You have suggested and proposed alternatives to our frenzied economy and this endless money printing. Many listeners will be wondering what really is your solution for our present predicament. Americans are out of work, families are lining up at food banks. People would be struggling much more if it were not for government bailouts, extended unemployment benefits mm. and top-ups. Even a, a new Great Depression has been averted. So it's a bitter pill to swallow this endless money printing, but what, what's the how, how can it be avoided? Well, I mean, at this point, there is no safety net. I mean, the government has become the safety net. And, you know, there, I don't, I'm not saying that the government should not aid those who are in need, but I think we need to uh, adjust that kind of aid that must be needed, and uh, not see the not see the government as the final solution. The final solution is, is 
we are addicted to this this government bailout, this money printing uh, cycle that is ever getting greater and greater. And at a certain point, we will need to have to have to withdraw from that. And withdrawals from any type of addiction is a painful process. I think we're, we will need to go through some kind of painful process if we are to resolve the problem. There is no magic solution. There's no magic button that you can push and say, okay, it's gonna, everything's gonna be all right after this. There will be a time when we will have to deal with it and it will, it will involve suffering. But it will also involve, uh, I think, the faith. God is, is, is definitely there and God can do all things. I think that the faith is a, is a factor that is not put in the economy that needs to be put into the economy because faith can do a lot and can resolve problems. God does get involved in history, uh, despite what a lot of postmodern and postmodern authors say. This addiction to cheap money can be stopped, but it will incur some sacrifices and suffering by consumers, including saving more money, practical things, giving up the second or third car, maybe stop going on expensive vacations. Maybe the government could set up some kind of a war bonds type of thing uh, to uh, shore up all this debt. I mean, I'm sure there are many interesting ways we could get out of this, but it's presumably a long-term fix. Definitely a long term and people and today people like to think in short terms, you know, because it is election cycles, it is business cycles, it's everything is based on, you know, how you feel now about it and not how you feel in the future. So uh, our mentality is not is really not adjusted toward this type of these types of solutions. But I, I don't see any way out of it that we have to start thinking in terms of those solutions. And have to start thinking in terms of our own lives, you know, as far as, you know, that, for example, the family is probably is the is the basic economic unit, social unit, but also the economic unit of society. If, if the family were in place, it has enormous assets that it creates money, it creates wealth, it distributes wealth. I mean, it is an amazing instrument that is not being used at this present time and because we live in a society that has you know, destroyed the family. Well, there's this notion among some politicians, no, the government will step in, uh, we'll do their job, usurping the role of families and communities. Absolutely, yeah, and it is, you know, you, we, the, when the government does it, it does it badly, and it does it, it certainly costs a lot more, and, and, and when the family and the community does it, many times it's, it's not, it doesn't cost anything, and, you, you are, and it does it better, better and does it with... Uh, warmth and the human factor that doesn't isn't included in government bureaucracies. John, do you think the government and states in America have gone too far with their restrictions related to COVID-19? I mean, a lot of businesses are basically bankrupt and never come back. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it definitely is because it is so arbitrary. I live in, I live in Pennsylvania and the recent uh, court decision here, which you just said, is this is so much of this is arbitrary. They're, they have not defined their terms, and, and they just take standards like California. Say, well, we have to be like California. That's what they've done here. And when there, where there is no real proof that you know, 25 people limit is the, you know, is the limit that needs to be done, or 250 outside is the limit that needs to be done. It's simply arbitrary measures that are destroying business and destroying the faith. I mean, it's absolutely absurd that, you know, in California, the limit a person who to, to pray in, the, in the, the huge cathedral in San Francisco is one, one person. Uh, you can have 25 people outside, listen, for a mass, but only one person inside. 
I mean, these these are absolutely absurd, and, and it's it's a, a type of veiled and soft persecution of the church. Are you surprised that uh, there hasn't been intense lobbying of local governments, say in California and other places where there have been these restrictions on church attendance? I know the uh, you know the, in all justice, you know, uh, Archbishop Cordelione in San Francisco is just going up and down and just constantly, uh, you know, trying to get people to get the government to to to, to uh, loosen these things but other bishops have been you know even more rigid than the government sometimes when in dealing with these restrictions I know that in in Minnesota for example the government the state government said we're going to do the 25 person limit and things like that and and they said no and then they said next Sunday we're having services and you do what you want and the government backed down I think it would be good if we if, if more bishops uh, did that because I think uh, you know what can they say? There's also the question of the tax exempt status for religious organizations in America, such as the Catholic Church, which has come to the fore for analysis during the COVID nineteen shutdowns. No, we are not suggesting that should change by any means. But keep it as background. I asked John Harvard whether government support of various Catholic Church programs could also be hindering its ability to function as a free and independent institution, especially during the COVID-19 crisis. Stand up to the government. I mean, there is this idea, too, that government and church are tied together in terms of funding for schools and packages. This idea that the church is walking a bit of a tightrope, that if it is out of line, the government will pull its funding of various church sponsored programs. I mean, does any of that play into it? No, I mean, I imagine it could, but I mean, I think the church has always thought beyond that because, you know, whenever the church has uh, deal, dealt with governments, uh, when it and when it makes itself subservient to government, it loses its freedom. And it's that, throughout the history of the church, it's been that way. So if, if people are afraid of that, they should just say, well, we, we need to deal with that. We can't, we, we can't give up the worship of God for the for the uh, you know for this these monies that are helpful, but that is not what we're all about. <laughs> well, we're going to get back real quickly to the money printing in a moment, but just staying on that topic because it's it's interesting. There have been a lot of individual church leaders and priests at varying points on the spectrum in terms of endorsements for the presidential and upcoming elections in November. On mm-hmm. the one hand, some are speaking up for Joe Biden. I can think of Bishop Tobin in New York, and then there's mm-hmm. others are saying no. Trump's our man, and we had a very distinguished nun, and 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 she came out in support of Trump. Any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, definitely, we need to we need to get involved in the in the process because these things that are the the issues that are at hand are moral issues. I mean, abortion, same sex marriage, uh, you know, transsexuals, uh, the all these all these problems are moral problems. The church has the obligation and duty to. Uh, to, to deal with. So, John, we're, we're going to just uh, wrap up here. I'm, I'm curious in terms of the Fed. Is, is the Fed and central bank system worldwide broken? Should they be reformed? If we didn't have a U.S. Fed, maybe we wouldn't have all these problems we have today. Well, I mean, I, as, I, as I said, I think the, the Fed is a response to the type of economy we have, the type of frenetic economy where they have that needs a rapid expansion and contraction of money supply. And if you destroy the Fed, Another Fed will come up, some will, you know, will somehow arise from it. 
it's sort of like the problem in China where they have a banking system and then they 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 crack down on the bank, banking system and then a, a shadow banking system comes out of it and it's worse than the actual system that they they, right. they suppress. So I think it's, it's exactly that. You know, these uh, the Fed for our economy. I think we need to change the cause of the Fed, the the type of economy we have, and then you know the the central bank becomes much less. Uh, need we 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 would not need it as as much, or we may not may not even need it. Gold standard would that uh, help? Gold standard is I it is it's a difficult thing because uh, you, you're we've really never had a gold standard, and it's in the pure form. It's always been a hybrid system, and and gold standards are problems because you know it is a who controls the gold standards, who controls the gold. It's a commodity. And and when you make uh, money tied to a uh, to a commodity, that's what is uh, what what rules. Money has three functions: it's a measure of value, it's a store store of value, and it's a means of exchange. And if you can find some kind of a vehicle to do that, I don't really care how you do it, do it. But those are, as long as those three functions are in place, uh, you can use uh, you can use hickory sticks as they did in England, you know, and and it was it served as money and it worked. Mm. Right. What about cryptocurrency then? Well, I mean, uh, one of the things about currency is that uh, cryptocurrency is a private thing, and currency is a, is an invention, uh, and it is something that is has, that has to be done by government. That has to be done by government because, first of all, it needs a certain stability, and second of all, you need to pay taxes, and you need to somehow right. taxes have to be in a, a universal uh, language or currency where they where they will be paid. So the government has to somehow be involved in these, and so these cryptocurrencies, uh, they are <clears throat> they are money extenders. They have certain functions inside a society, but they really don't take the place of money. You wonder why we haven't seen a surge in inflation. It's very odd with all this money circulating. Yeah, definitely, it is. It is a very curious thing. I I, I don't pretend to understand it. It's uh, we. Modern economy is a very complicated thing, and you have, just have so many factors enter, entering in. But I mean, at the same time, a lot of it probably is due to a certain prosperity that has uh, has emerged uh, because of free markets and and so you know the the the, the uh, indicators, the things that determine prices are you know are, are pretty much can can be uh, are are pretty stable. John, it's it's always fascinating talking to you. You you think deeply about these uh, issues. And look on it as a moral problem. That's it's sort of rare. You know, you lo- listen to the money shows on CNBC and talk shows and read the Wall Street Journal. It never really comes up as a moral problem. To you, that's at the heart of all of this debate. Definitely. I mean, if you look at the best uh, rulers, at least in uh, medieval Europe, I mean, the, the best economic systems and the best economic, e- economists were the, were the saints. St. Louis, the king, had, had, had a, a booming economy. He was the first uh, medieval um, ruler to issue gold in, at the time, and to, and so, and he had a, a, a booming economy despite the fact he had to pay a huge ransom in the middle of his crusade. But he, it, whenever you, whenever you have a just society, economy will boom and will be in in a, in a good state. When you start to uh, do all these tricks and maneuvers, uh, then you get into real complicated problems. Well, isn't that what the Roman Empire did? They just kept printing money, and then eventually it collapsed morally and financially. Yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, the Roman Empire is just a, 
uh, you know, just constantly having to reprint, repr well, reprint, re remint money. And uh, yeah, they just didn't get it. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, when you don't have a moral system like 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 the church who's behind things and, and assures a certain honesty and, and uh, a moral society that that you could trust uh, money, then you don't trust the money after a while. It's It tends to d destroy itself. Any hope that we're going to come out of this and what's your predictions for the future? Could we recover? I'm not too sure. You know, as I was saying, I, I think we've reached a point that is it's very, very difficult for us to make a full recovery you know there's just so much debt out there that has to somehow be repaid and the only way you know that you could do that is to inflate your way out of it which would it's going to be suffering or to you know take those measures that most people don't want to take in any case i think we're, we are going to have to suffer one way or the other you know it's it's going to have to happen and and that will probably be i think that always has the advantage of getting people to think and to look for solutions that they normally wouldn't look for and 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 also to turn to God and to turn to and to turn to God and to ask His help and and then you might be able to find solutions. Then I think you have the conditions to uh, find find solutions to problems. John Horvath, let's check back together in a few months and see where we're at with the economy. <laughs> and well, it could be an even dire situation, but let's pray on that. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.